From training to performing, join our Big League Conversation. Welcome to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast with your host, Eric Cressy. Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 58. This is going to be a non-traditional episode in the absolute best way possible because instead of just having one guest, we've got a bunch. Um, this episode was born out of actually a text message exchange I had with uh, Adam Adovino, a relief pitcher for the New York Yankees, as we were thinking about ways that we can use this downtime in baseball to get better. Um, we started throwing around the idea of creating a roundtable discussion, and given how Adam pitches and you know looking at some of our clients, uh, we had a lot of guys who were throwing high-level two seams at the professional level, so we decided we're going to put our heads together to round up a good crew and and nerd out on it for a while so today we've got blake trinan Corey kluber mike soroka brandon kinsler and steve ceshek on the call we're also joined by brian kaplan our pitching coordinator at csp florida and mark lowey our associate pitching coordinator at csp florida a lot of people say that two seam fastballs are dying in baseball and certainly the trends uh, and usage are that that's the case, but we're going to work hard today to revive it. So we're in for a really good show. This is also a cool show because it's a video call, not just an audio call. So you can go and check it out on YouTube and actually see the, the guys bust each other's drops and, um, you know, exchange some ideas in, in a video format. So it's a little bit more engaging. If you're a baseball pitcher, you know that keeping your arm healthy is essential. But with high training volumes on top of participation in games, that's not always easy. Overuse is a significant problem for players at every level of competition right now. Certainly, we see elbow and shoulder injuries as some of the most common overuse injuries in baseball. At the professional level, an ulnar collateral ligament of the elbow injury can result in an average of 17.2 months out of competition. For youth players, overuse is also a predominant mechanism of injury. If you miss out on that much time, you're also missing out on a lot of development. So really, at the end of the day, there are three ways we can combat overuse. First, you can reduce workload, and certainly there have been a lot of research studies out there on pitch counts. Second, and the theme of this podcast, is that you can build a significant level of fitness to prepare yourself. However, a third key approach that's often overlooked is that you can work to improve your recovery so that you can safely display the fitness that you've built day in and day out. And that's really where Mark Pro is an effective tool. Some athletes will even use it to warm up their arms before they throw. MarkPro is a cutting-edge EMS device that uses patented technology to create non-fatiguing muscle activation. And this is what sets it apart from other recovery tools. Muscle activation with MarkPro facilitates each stage of the body's natural recovery process, similar to active recovery, but without the extra effort and muscular fatigue. Athletes can use it for as long as they need to ensure a more full and quick recovery between training or games. With its portability and ease of use, players can use MarkPro while traveling between games or while relaxing at home. We even have players that use it all the time on team flights to help them bounce back. We have plenty of pro athletes that use this and players from every Major League Baseball team use it. Put Mark Pro to the test for yourself and take advantage of the great deal they have set up for our listeners through the end of May. Just head to markpro.com and use promo code CRESSY at checkout for 20% off your order. Again, that's markpro.com, M-A-R-C-P-R-O.com and use the promo code CRESSY, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y at checkout to get 20% off your order through the end of May. Welcome. We're going to do a two-seam roundtable. Uh, like I said before we got on air, the, air, the rules are that there are no rules. 
Um, before we start, I think it's important that I uh, invite uh, or welcome my official co-anchor uh, here. This is Adam Ottavino's broadcasting debut as a co-host on the Elite Baseball Development Podcast. Adam, are you nervous? A uh, little bit. I wouldn't say too much, though. I think you're going to handle it. You're you're more well equipped than any of us. You got the the microphone. You got the true headset. Is that a recording studio at your house? No, this is my office. Uh, I have never lived in this house until the uh, until the quarantine. But uh, just got it set up. Feeling good about it. So uh, we're going to give it a whirl here. All right. So right now we've got Blake Trinan. Excuse me. That was Adam Ottavino, New York Yankees. We've got Blake Trinan, Los Angeles Dodgers. Even though you have not thrown a true pitch for the Los Angeles Dodgers yet, right? Yeah, I mean, one spring training game. There we go. There you go. And you are you are currently in Washington State? Yeah, Walla Walla. It's nice. actually really nice out here. So Very nice. And, and don't uh, – you guys will be seeing the audio, the visual of this. He comes up as Katie on, on Zoom. That is his lovely wife who is probably taking care of their two little hooligans so that you yep. can do this. So thank you, Katie. Um, we got Brian Kaplan, CSP pitching coordinator at our Florida facility. He's going to be jumping in and, and offering some nerd speak and asking some questions to kind of move the discussion along. We've got Brandon Kinsler in Las Vegas. Brandon is, let's see, you coming up here? Speak up, dude. Huh? Welcome. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. <laughs> this is the point where you chime in. <laughs> I didn't know I was supposed to talk. Brandon's a Miami Marlin now. Uh, next to Brandon, we've got Mark Lowy, our assistant pitching coordinator at our Florida facility. He and Cap work hand in hand on a regular basis. We've got Steve Ciszek, who is a whopping, I don't know, five doors down from me in my neighborhood right now. Steve is the Chicago White Sox and the guy who hasn't thrown a pitch for his current team. Um, yes. The, the man in the shadow next to him is Corey Kluber, um, another veteran of the CSP podcast who is in cold Massachusetts right now. Man, it's not warm here. <laughs> and then, ironically enough, we have Mike Soroka from the Braves, who's from cold weather, but is in Atlanta currently, correct? Yeah, it's nice here. It's uh, 75 and sunny in the last few days, so I'm happy. And you have a newly outfitted home gym, too, so you're enjoying the quarantine on, on your home turf. I am. I am. For as much as I can get out of it, uh, I think I'm doing pretty good with it. Nice. All right, well, we're going to get to the good stuff here. And uh, I've, got, I've got two computers side by side so that I can have some of my questions. So I'm going to read a quote to start this off. In May 2018, in a Fangraphs article entitled, Go See the Two-Seam Before It's Gone, Travis Sawchick wrote, in 2010, two-seam slash sinker usage was at its peak of 22.5%, according to pitch info data. Four-seam fastball usage was at a pitch tracking era low of 34.8%. This season, referring to 2018, uh, two-seam slash sinker usage is at a pitch tracking era low of 17.8%. It's sixth consecutive year of decline. Four-seam usage is up to 37.6%. It actually went down after this article to 17.1 by the end of 2018. <clears throat> and in 2019, it was at an all-time low of 14.9% of pitches in 2019. So uh, one of the qualifying criteria for being on this call was that you had to throw a two-seam at least 25% of the time. So effectively 10% or above over league average. So um, everybody uses a two-seam as their predominant fastball. Um, so let's start this question off with the obvious question that sets the stage for the rest of the discussion. Is the two-seam fastball a dying art? Let's go, uh, I don't know, your first one on my board right now, Kluber, so go right to it, my man. Um, I don't know, I, I think that pitch popularity is all cyclical. You know, I think that hitters adjust to what 
what pitchers do well and you know then pitchers got to find a new way to adjust to what hitters swings are at that point in time I mean you know it's it's only a matter of time before you know fastballs and splits come back I feel like I think it's just it's a matter of what most guys do that, that they're adjusting to so I think in a way it's almost if you throw a two seam and not many guys do it it's something that's a different look even more so than normal I like it Kenster, what do you got <laughs> uh i think slowly i think because uh everybody wants to throw 98 miles an hour at the top of the zone and uh that's what you know your fan graphs people seem to enjoy and write about and you know analytics loves those high fastballs and apparently i was told last year that lefties kill sinkers but the numbers aren't there for it but they just they just assume that sinkers get hit so Slowly a dying breed, but if you got a real good one, I think you're, you're fine. Nice. What do you got, Steve? Yeah, I mean, Kent and I talked about it a lot last year. You know, feel like, you know, what Kluber said, too, it's, it's going to come back. I mean, everyone's going to be throwing fastballs top of the zone. I mean, I'm throwing fastballs top of the zone at 88 miles an hour and <laughs> somehow <laughs> getting it done here and there. But I still rely on my sinker. And I think it's still going to be um, just as important pitch as anyone else in their arsenal. You know, if you have a good two-seamer, you got to use it to your advantage. You can still use it on lefties, you know, front hips, so a great pitch to lefties nowadays. You know, they're looking for something up out over to drive now. You know, so, you know, just use it to your advantage. I like it. All right, what do you got, Blake? Yeah, I think kind of what everybody's touching on is just the trends of the game. Uh, you know, back in 2015 or 16 even, with Daniel Murphy and a few others in the league trying to do launch angle, uh, four seamers up tend to show an easy way to combat it. And so people run away from the pitch down in the zone. And, and for us, all these guys on this, on this call, it's what's made our careers, you know, with a few other, uh, you know, pitches in the mix. But I mean, you look at everybody here, they've got really good two seamers slash sinkers. So, um, you know, it shouldn't be a dying art. I think you find a way to use it and perfect it, and and it doesn't matter what you throw. Your number one pitch is your number one pitch, whether baseball trends. But to touch what Corey said, you know, it is going to ebb and flow back. If a lot of the league is throwing four seamers up and we're throwing sinkers down or front hipping, you can be creative with it, and it's almost more benefiting to us. I like it. What do you got, Otto? Yeah, I think, I think something that goes a little unnoticed um, is kind of – one of the major evolutions has been the strike zone. I feel like um, when I first got to the big leagues, the bottom of the zone, even below, you know, what uh, below the knees was getting called pretty consistently. And then they made a concerted effort to kind of eliminate that. I know a lot of guys are still good at bringing the ball up a lot of the catchers, but feels like the high strikes started getting called a little more consistently. And that was the area where there was a little more room to kind of play with. So for me, um, you know, I think that combined with the, with the bat paths, of everybody trying to scoop the ball kind of steered everybody in that direction of throwing the four seam high. And obviously uh, the, the velocity that's in the game now is a big factor as well. But um, I'd still think like you want to have as many options as possible. And there's certain bat paths that really can't hit, you know, sinking pitches. And I think the more that guys get adjusted to the high heater, um, the more vulnerable they will be for the low uh, two seam. And I think Soroka is kind of like a good one to wrap this question up. Mike, because you, you, you were drafted most recently. You were a 2015 draft, correct? Yeah, correct. So, and you threw both a two and a four seam when, when you were drafted, or was it just the two seam? Uh, both. Uh, it was kind of the something to figure out. 
uh, especially once I got to the big leagues with that new ball. Mm-hmm. Um, I found both of them. My two seam got better. My four seam got a whole lot worse uh, just because of the way it was coming out of my hand. But um, how I was going to answer this question was basically almost throw this into Cap or, or Mark's court and basically say that I think today we're doing a little bit of a job understanding that not everybody can throw, you know, both fastballs. Not everybody's going to be good at throwing sinkers. Not everybody's going to be good at getting that four seam to stick. So I think part of it's just understanding, um, you know, what your gift is. For me, it was always, I, I knew it was always easier to throw a two seam and it, it was natural to me. So um, something like that was something I needed to work on and, and understand that, that was my strength. So uh, I think people are doing a better job of, of seeing that not everybody can throw a two seam, you uh, know, the way a lot of these guys do. What do you think, Cap and Mark? You guys got to chime in on this too. It's like a fantasy football draft. We've got to, uh, we've got to switch back and go in the opposite direction on the way back. Yeah, I mean, I'll kind of ask a question that, that might just be to the group and you can chime in. I think my curiosity and on Mike's point is certain anatomies and there's like a lot of lengthier arm actions in this group that certainly allow for a little bit more action on the ball. There's definitely some exceptions, but I'm kind of curious – for most of you, is it just like it came natural? Like when you threw a baseball, it just had run and had sink? Or was it a coach that kind of came along and said, hey, try this grip out, and all of a sudden the ball just started moving in that direction? Was it natural or was it kind of like a skill that picked up over time? That's to anybody. Soroka, why don't you go first? We'll, we'll, work, we'll work backwards from the guy who went uh, last. So uh, my dad, when I first started playing catch, playing baseball, I don't know, I was eight or nine. Um, I didn't know what a four seam was. I was always only taught that a two seam was it for me. Uh, and I'd literally just move along the horseshoes. Um, so it, that was something that I always threw. And I, I don't think I got taught a four seam until um, probably travel ball. I was like 13 years old. Um, so I guess I figured out a way to, to see what I wanted to see when I was throwing the ball. Um, and it, it kind of just took off for me right there. But, um, you know, obviously there's little things that you got to learn along the way you know, switching things with the thumb and all that kind of stuff I'm sure we'll get into. But uh, for the most part, it was kind of always how I threw baseball. Nice. Adam, what do you when got? You were, when you were coming up in the – Mike, uh, when you were coming up in the minor leagues uh, with the Braves, did they try to coach it out of you at all? Because, um, you know, I think some of the older guys on this on this call um, can remember a time when the two-seam was really, really favored in the minor leagues. I mean, the Cardinals, when I was in the minors, were pretty much telling everybody they had to be pitch-to-contact two-seam type pitchers. And obviously that flipped at some point now. I mean, with the Yankees, that's pretty much not what they teach. So I was curious with you, you got to the big leagues pretty quick. So I'm wondering if they tried to coach that out of you at all. Uh, not quite, honestly, because they, uh, a lot of our pitching coaches were older, uh, old school pitching guys that they'd kept around, I mean, since the 90s, really. Um, so they were pretty happy with it. And I actually got to a point where, uh, I think it was double A when they realized that, you know, I got to have some separation between the four and the two uh, to have better success, especially against lefties. But um, no, for the most part, it, it was almost coached to the point where I got almost two two seam heavy and they just wanted to see some outs. And I said, okay, um, obviously you can get some outs in low A by throwing a sinker at the bottom of the zone. You're going to run into outs. Uh, but that wasn't exactly where I wanted to go developmentally. Um, so it was about learning a lot more things from farther on. Adam, were you, were you spinning a two seam from the get go? Was that always you? 
Um, well, I, I threw four seamers growing up, uh, but the, but with my arm angle, they had run to them. And so a lot of people thought I threw sinkers. Um, when I got to my first big league camp, uh, Jason LaRue, who was catching me, was like, just keep throwing that sinker and you're going to be all right. And it's like, that's, that's not what I thought I was doing. So um, I actually uh, initially resisted it for a while. Um, and it wasn't until later where I was able to see the metrics and Interestingly enough, I had more spin on my two seam than on my four seam. So I figured uh, I'm going to use my two seam, even if it's at the top of the zone. And um, also like just visually had a little better, uh, have had a little easier time um, visualizing like starting a pitch in one area to end it in another area, as opposed to trying to like almost feel like I'm throwing darts and throwing like perfectly straight balls all the time. So uh, that was kind of the evolution of four seam, two seam, you know, for me. But um, you know, ultimately, the, the, the tough part for me was always the pitch to contact piece. When I was a starter, I really struggled with that. Uh, the idea of letting the batter hit the ball. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at a guy like uh, Corey Kluber and uh, Staroka, who are starters. Obviously, they've been able to go deep into games. What do you guys think about um, pitching to contact and that mentality and how the two seam plays into that? Let's go, let's go Corey first. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I didn't start throwing a two seam until really late in my you know development i was in my second year in triple a basically on my last resort making a switch because i was getting hit around um but i think for me it was one of those things where i never really even considered it to that point it just i would i'd always been been a coach told you know throw a forcing fastball and never really toyed with the idea of doing something different but when i did it it felt more comfortable in my hand you know i felt like i could manipulate the ball a little bit better um you know, I feel like I hung on to it a little bit longer, things like that. Um, and then I think the biggest, once I started throwing it a lot, the biggest mental hurdle for me was that, like, in my mind, I always thought of a two-seamer was a sinker. Um, mine doesn't really sink. Mine, mine runs. And so, you know, getting over, like, the, the thought process of, okay, I'm throwing a sinker. It's got to be down in the zone, you know, just kind of more so letting, letting the, the action of, of the pitch dictate where I throw it and not really having to force myself, okay, i got to throw this down in the zone. But, you know, I, I, I have a lot of success with it um, up in the zone, glove side especially, whether it be a righty or a lefty. And so I think just kind of learning the, the ins and outs of, of the way your ball behaves and things and, and trying to, you know, mess with different things, tinker with stuff, and, and just kind of learn along the way is, is what helped me with it. Well, we got Steve. I, we had this conversation literally the other day, um, independent of this. But when did, when did it start for you? Yeah, I've held I've held the same grip uh, since basically Little League. I wish it was a better <laughs> story. My dad just told me how to hold a baseball, and he showed me a two two seam grip, and I always held it to where my thumb was on the China logo on the bottom of the ball. And, um, and so I've kind of held the same grip to this day. I I want to be consistent. I feel like every baseball we get feels different in my hand. So I always go Rawlings logo towards the body. I think you can see that. Um, I always, I always keep it right there. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've just, it's kind of just developed over time when I was in college, it was probably a little bit more of a sinker. I was a little bit more over the top, just, just really taller in my delivery over time. Arm slot just got lower and lower. Now it's more of a running two seamer instead of a sinker. So especially last year, um, it was, you know, it's a vital pitch for me. I, I didn't have a feel for my slider at all for better part of the year. So I relied heavily on just hammering guys in on their hands because everyone's trying to lift and separate nowadays. So um, just try to make a living doing that. And, you know, for me, I mean, apart from my slider, the two seamer has been a career saver. 
Awesome. Now, Kinsler, you, you're, you're a guy that, I mean, you don't pride yourself on punching tons of guy out. And in, in fact, you even got into some trouble when you tried to strike out too many guys. Has the sinker always been there for you? Or was that something that was like a career revival scenario, kind of like, like Corey? It was like a revival. I remember uh, I've always a four-seam slider guy growing up, even through college. And then uh, first couple of years of pro ball. And then after I had shoulder surgery, I remember I was rehabbing at a facility here and Greg Maddox was there and I was pretty interested in like how the hell you made the ball move like crazy. So I was I always thought it was like some magical finger pressure. So when I asked him about it, he didn't talk about finger pressure. He just talked about direction of his body. And then uh, I thought, well, that could kind of do, I think that's the same, sounds easy enough. So, so it's not like a miracle grip. So then I was coming through independent balls, getting hammered because my shoulder wasn't strong yet. So I just started just trying to work on two seamers slowly and learn how to make the thing move late. And as my shoulder got healthy and I got signed and I went to double A and they moved me as a reliever, I just wanted outs as quick as possible. I didn't want to even give them an opportunity. So I went just exclusive two-seamers after that and kind of just ran with it. That's what changed my career. I love it. Now, Blake, we got to d- determine what exactly yours is. Yours is, a, is it a one-seam? Is it a two-seam? It's been called many different things. What do you got? I mean, honestly, it's a two-seam fastball. I just I just told a thing like this. Mm-hmm. and. I've, I've, much like you, Mike, I mean, I'd, I've thrown a two-seam since I remember. I had like a Roger Clemens baseball growing up, if you guys remember those things. And I just put my finger pressure right where the little green fingerprints were on the ball. And I didn't learn a four-seamer at all until probably my first year in pro ball. And probably never threw it in a game until third third year in the big leagues. So it's just something like you were saying, Brian. It's just – for me, it was a natural – uh, transition just that's all I ever knew um, but getting the ball to do consistent things was an evolving uh, skill that I had to learn um, through the minor leagues and then even into the big leagues uh, you know for me the biggest key was was Brett Boone his dad um, he Bob he was telling me in DC that you know, just get your arm up and let your arm work. Don't worry about throwing the ball. Because I always thought I had to be a high velo guy when I was young, but I had my best action when I was like 94, 95. And um, what? That's, high, that's like Mac. Yeah. <laughs> Naive young guy, you know. Kids, kids like, got a little drool coming down his beard right now. <laughs> I, uh, I, thought I, I thought I had to – I mean, I could, I could throw – harder than that but the ball didn't do what I wanted it to and so I felt like I had to live at a certain threshold but not knowing who I was as a pitcher really kind of interfered so when I started really just focusing on having my arm up at foot strike it freed things up and my timing got way better and my ball started just moving extremely late and that's for me it's it's more or less a timing thing with getting my arm up and everything else kind of works after that nice cap you got you got next question I started off to your your baton to take I just asked a question. I just was, asked a question. That was, that was an excellent. That was, that, that was more of a pivot. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll shoot to Mark. I'll come back. I, I certainly have yeah. a couple more, but I, I want to get a little deeper. Otto yeah. already hit on one of my questions with Britton, um, but we'll, we'll save that for later. For the record, Zach Britton and Jesus Lazaro were invited. This is not a righty bias thing. We actually had two lefties that were scheduled, and they, they had to pull out, unfortunately, last minute. So we'll, we'll do a lefty two-seam call at some point. Mark, what do you got? Um, well, I'm like a, a pretty firm arguer that 
two seam and sinker, like they're two different things. I think people use the term interchangeably. Um, two seam to me is a little more horizontal sinker is a little more depth. Uh, so I'm always curious because I think when we look at like the pitch data, when we look at video, like going off a mic, there's sometimes where maybe his will run a little more. Sometimes it'll sink a little more. Uh, so I'm always curious, like if you guys and how much you can manipulate it to either make it run, make it sink. Uh, Corey kind of alluded to, you know, running it up in the zone. I think Otto had said the same thing. Um, so yeah, if you could talk about either, either manipulating it to make it do certain things or using it in different parts of the zone, depending on count hitter, stuff like that. Well, we go Corey first. Um, for me, I, I have a hard time manipulating it up and down. Um, you know, I feel like when I try to, to make it work down, it tends to do a lot of nothing. Um, you know, I can, I can, I can get on the side of it with my arm angle and stuff and I can make it run a little bit more. Um, but, but yeah, I have a hard time trying to make it sink. And, you know, like I said, trying to get past that was tough for me initially, but, you know, I think that when I make those manipulations, I'm trying to, to do it based on pitches previously. Um, you know, whether if I just front hip the lefty and, you know, it didn't look like he, he recognized it in time or, or that kind of thing, like, you know, trying to, trying to play off of that. Um, as opposed to a lot of times I think that when I was first learning it, you know, I'd, I'd try to manipulate it just because I thought I was trying to make it do something different, not necessarily trying to do it in a productive way. I guess that makes sense. Who here does manipulate it and, and shape it differently? I feel like Adam, you got to be the guy that does it. I mean, I try to, um, <laughs> but uh, it's hard. I think I think something that I've learned over the years is like it just depends on what I'm trying to do with the pitch. I mean, one of the things I was mentioning earlier was concept of pitching and contact. I don't do it very often, to be honest. But every now and then, if I need a double play and I have a righty up there, I do try to throw it down and in. I find that that can with the right bat path, I can get a chopper to third pretty quickly and get a quick double play. Um, so in that case, like, I just think my wrist angle is a little different than if I'm trying to go like a front hipper or backdoor fastball to a righty. Like if I'm a little more over the ball, then my, then the, the angle of the pitch is coming a little more downward. And even though it's the same spin and everything, um, it's just trajectory is a little more, um, headed towards, you know, towards the dirt. Whereas if I'm trying to throw one of those runners that starts as a ball and comes back for a strike, for me, a big cue is to throw it at least medium height because that kind of keeps my hand a little more flat when it comes out. And I think in that case, I don't want it to sink because the last thing you want is to throw a, a front door two seam to a lefty and have it at the bottom of the zone. That's like the one area that gives them a chance, in my opinion. So that's the, really the only thing. I don't do anything different with my fingers, but um, I'm sure a lot of other guys – have had the same thoughts as that, but that's kind of um, what I've learned. Anybody else here manipulates it uniquely or, or just does everybody just let it eat? No, I think it's depending on your sights. Like you said, down into a lefty is fun balls for those guys. Even though you think it's a nasty one that starts with their knees and dies, but it goes right into their swing. So if you can learn, I think a lot of guys take, you got to learn by failure probably by giving up those bombs and then you start realizing, Oh, I need to throw it up at them. Then those guys flinch almost every time or, or, you know, they swing under it like it's a four seamer because it comes running up and then you go arm side and you always want to drive it down. So I think, I mean, it takes a while to learn that pitch. But once you learn how to manipulate 
driving it and actually getting under it, letting it run. It's, it's actually a lot of fun. Uh, of the guys on this call, I think um, Steve, Corey, and Mike are the only three. I mean, Kins, I know you'll throw it occasionally, but for the most part, those three are the only ones that also will throw a, a four seam a considerable, a considerable chunk of the time. Anybody else that does it? Just the Freddie Freeman. <laughs> um, for you guys that, that throw both, is, is there a markedly different thought process? Because I know, like, Mike, you and, and Mark will pull some of this stuff up later, but, like, Mark, you're – um, your spin axis is markedly different, obviously on a four seam and a two seam, you differentiate them really, really well. Is that something that you're, you're aware of or for you, is it just how, how you get to that point? Yeah. I, I mean, I, it's something that kind of really had to work on these last couple of years. And that's all we've been really trying to do is, um, you know, kind of going back to the last question on how we can shape the ball, to different hitters, but I seem arm side, I seem to everything runs a little more. Um, I don't have to try as hard. Obviously, it's it's easier to get to that side. Uh, but going in on a righty is always going to be easy because you don't care if it sinks or runs as long as it's I mean, <laughs> down or in enough to where it's either on their hands or below the zone. Um, but to a lefty, I kind of, like, like Brandon said, trial and error was trying to keep bringing them back. Um, you know, I, I know Corey knows this because Allard told him, but we used to watch video on him do that inside the lefties all day um i kept trying and i kept giving up bombs so <laughs> we uh we went with the four seamer we're trying to get in on hands that way um then maybe like brandon said try and get under it um try and let it come back from front hip instead of down and in what about you steve i know that four seam has become a weapon for you you know in, in the last couple of years um especially like you said when the slider wasn't exactly what you wanted it to be is it is it for you a massively different thought process throwing the two? Um, yeah, it's pretty different. I'm th almost thinking cutter from my arm slot. And when I'm able to do that, I actually can manipulate the baseball to where it stays more straight as opposed to taking off. And I think it just happened over time. You just kind of learn just through your throwing program and stuff like that. I remember one time I, I, I had a hard time throwing four seamers up to a righty so I kept hitting him in the head. So I had to like <laughs> figure something out. Like, I can't keep dotting these guys 0-2 in the back of the head, you know. So I learned to kind of manipulate the ball in my hand. I just think backspin cutter. Um, and somehow I've just been able to find a way to, you know, keep it from running so much. Um, sometimes it's not bad, though. When lefties are up there, I want it to take off and run up and out away from their bat. But, um, you know, it's not always that easy. So in my mind, I'm thinking cut fastball right here, throw it as hard as you can up through the top of the zone. And I'm almost trying to come out of my delivery so the ball takes off that trajectory. Corey, how is your four seem different now than it was back in, you know, 07, 08, when it was more hittable before you actually went full blown two seam? Um, I'm not sure how, I'm not sure how it profiles differently, but I think my, my thought process is different with it because when I threw that pitch exclusively for my fastball, you know, I think I was always trying to be too perfect with it. Um, you know, like it, visually for me like seeing a ball go straight is is tough you know like I, I want to see the ball do something at the end and, and so to see it go straight was always tough when I feel like I, I had to be really fine with it that was just I didn't have a lot of confidence in it um, but I think that now that it's it's more of a, a change of pace fastball for me is what I throw most of the time I, I feel more comfortable just letting it eat instead of trying to to locate it too much you know I feel like because it it looks 
so much different to a hitter than what I'm throwing most of the time. I don't think that that I don't feel like I have to be as fine with it. So I think that's like where the thought process for me changed and probably allowed that pitch to actually behave a little bit better. Otto's got next. Don't blow up, man. This is your first question. All right. So uh, my question is for uh, Kinsler. Actually, I know that since you pitched a contact, like, what's your what's your thought process on the shift? I feel like oh, when you're <laughs> when you're a ground ball guy, you know, you can be you can be your your innings can be won or lost based on where those guys are standing. And so I'm curious, when you trying to ram the ball in on the righties a lot, how do you feel about that? Oh, I've had a lot of fights with those infield coaches over shifts. Um, my main concern is not re- really the ones going in, it's coming back. Because I always tell them if I'm ever going to give up a hit to a righty, it's when I go back door, and if it comes plate, it's going to be a, a little ground ball to the left side of second base. I was like, either you're going to play the shortstop over because I feel like if, if I get in on him, it's going to be a weak ground ball, and he can get over the hole. Or you guys got to start – you got to move somebody over, or you're going to basically tell me I can't pitch outside. So, uh, luckily, Chicago last year, they finally started to listen to me. Either that, they started to move the second baseman over on the other side um, just because, you know, not many guys hit it to the right – not many righties would hit it to the right side off me, or at least they – because everyone always tried to pull. But um, I th- the shifts early when they first started absolutely drove me nuts. The one is on the lefties. I hate when they – shift a lot on the lefties because it just makes absolutely no sense they're going to give it away they obviously know i'm going down the way and those guys just hit those little numbers to the left side and the third baseman standing at the shortstop so we got no shot so it just took a lot of try and error but um if i if i let it bother me too much then i feel like i was going to have a lot of failure i just feel like i'll just keep doing what i'm doing and maybe they'll start moving guys the other way but i really had no choice yeah just go ahead and get another ground ball and try to get a double play I mean, one thing that one thing I know uh, I know Britt's not on this call, but one thing we would talk about with him is like obviously he was getting like astronomical amount of ground balls in his career, like eighty percent some years, and they were still trying to do the shift. And we would say like it's better off you just play everybody straight up for him because it's it's rare somebody's going to hit the ball hard, and if they earn a hit by hitting the ball hard, then so be it. But if they're going to hit a weak, broken backgrounder somewhere, you don't really know where that is. And so maybe we should just play it straight up and cover all the weak possibilities. The worst is playing the third baseman back. I can't believe – I don't know how many freaking infield hits I give up to the third baseman. I'm like, just stop moving them back, please. It's going to be a ground ball. If he hits a bullet, he hits a bullet. It's my fault. But please, for the love of God, stop playing them back. Hey, Kent, maybe you just need to field your position a little bit better. Have you seen my <laughs> fielding percentage? <laughs> a thousand. <laughs> range excluded all right well i'm uh, old man give me a break mark what do you got i know you've been uh been digging up data and doing fancy charts for a while what do you got for us um well everyone was kind of hitting around it with um the location but cap and i wanted to look um a lot at and let me know if you guys can see this fairly well nicely done um, so we did a couple tabs here and like what I was kind of interested in, uh, was just pulling the movement. So, um, did stuff off pitch FX, um, and then baseball savant. So baseball savant's going to take that movement, uh, with gravity. Um, so you get a pretty good look at how the ball is actually moving. We take velo into account, um, things like that. And something that was interesting here, um, 
actually, if we go back here, so if we look at Otto and Soroka, so like you guys right here, these are pretty similar movement patterns, especially if we look at the pitch FX, like horizontal break right there, vertical, horizontal, vertical. Um, obviously, the heat map is hilariously different. Otto, you talked about like just throwing up, um, running a little bit. Uh, that vertical approach angle too. Um, so this is like when we watch video of Soroka and then we watch video of Otto, like visually those two things look very different, but the pitch movement's telling us it's similar, uh, but how the hitter is seeing it both because of where it is in the zone um, and then obviously what the delivery looks like is big too. Um, Kintz and Steve, you guys are pretty similar from a location standpoint, um, like what I would call more that traditional sinker. Uh, Corey then just flips everything on its head, um, throwing them up and into lefties. So this is catcher view here. Um, and then Blake, you're kind of back in that, that similar one with very exaggerated movement, uh, and just chilling at 97 too. So that's always fun. Um, so this was kind of, uh, really just to be a discussion point, uh, for you guys. I don't know if anyone has, has questions or, or thoughts when they see this stuff or, um, if they care to explain uh, what their numbers are saying about them. I would say one that's maybe Cap could talk a little bit of like the vertical approach angle, just because I know that's something you guys have dug in on deeply that hasn't necessarily been talked about a lot in this modern analytics world. I mean, I don't know so much about approach angle as much as I kind of want to like hear you guys' thoughts on arm slot. I think nowadays everybody's talking about you know, hold this grip to get the pitch to do this, create this spin or this movement to get the, the ball to do this. I think a lot is not talked about on just general arm slot. Um, obviously, you can see like Soroka's, even though his movement profile is similar to Otto's, Soroka can access the bottom of the zone better because of the height of the ball at release. Like he's physically driving the ball down where Otto can kind of move it a little bit more left to right, even if the pitch moves the same, the, the arm action, the arm slot, the release point allows the ball to do that. Um, so obviously trying in Britain, guys like that, they're a little bit more over the top. Um, they can push the ball down regardless of kind of what this, the action of the movement of the ball says. So I'm just kind of curious if it's just hard with young guys when they, they try to emulate you guys or look at grips and they think, okay, I'm going to chase this action when they realize arm slot and release point have so much to do with it. I'm just curious if you guys have noticed, I know I've talked with Corey a little bit about his arm slot over the years, but if you guys have noticed any changing in, in your arm slot to create movement or spin that you thought was more beneficial. I think for me, uh, I've never really um, tried to change any of my arm, my arm slot and just try to figure out what the best pitches uh, to throw with the arm slot that you already have pre-existing are, you know, I, I obviously uh, I throw a lot of sliders, a lot of breaking balls. And uh, a lot of that is just, you know, a function of my arm slot that makes it do something a little abnormal. And then, you know, instead of trying to force feed, you know, another arm slot in there, let's just try to mirror that and see what happens going the other direction. And I think arm slot just plays a huge role um, for every single guy. I mean, I watched C-Shack pitch in the minors and, you know, I, sometimes guys are just getting beat. I mean, I see here his vertical break is in the positives here, uh, but only by a little bit. And a lot of that, I think, is he's a guy I studied. It's a lot of that, I think, is just that arm angle. Like, nobody else really 
throws from exactly that angle, and it just creates a unique view for the hitter. Throws under him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like it's like day to day for me. One day I feel like I could sink a ball a little bit more. Obviously, not as much as these other guys. Um, but most of the time, I feel like my two-seamer has more ride to it. Um, and so it just kind of barrels in on guys with maybe some late, late sink. Um, and really, uh, like, all I'm thinking is I'm taking the ball. This is when I'm at my best. I'm thinking I'm just driving down the slope with a firm front side and keeping my hand behind the ball. And when I don't, the ball releases from my hand, is whatever happens, happens. So um, other, some days, like I said, it, it tends to take off a little bit. And other days, I can have that late life to it. And I think that's when I'm able to stay um, you know, close a, bit, a little bit longer on my front side and really get my hand behind the ball to drive it. Those are the best days where I can get that vertical break on it. I'm curious about Blake, because Blake, I know you in 18, everything was, it was absurdly nasty and it was late. Um, and I feel like every time we've had a conversation when things are going good, the sinker is really late. Last year, it wasn't, it wasn't profiling that way. And I know you, you picked up on some new stuff, obviously this year in spring training with, with the Dodgers to write the ship. What was it for you uh, conceptually that, that made a difference to, to get it back to its old form? Are you asking like kind of what are some things that were brought to my attention? Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I guess kind of like positioning of, of your body at every release point is, is one of the big things. Um, I don't know what led to it, but there was some, some quirks with my delivery uh, as it re- pertains to my finish uh, last year. But, you know, speaking to when you feel right, like Steve was talking about, I just remember when, when things have been right in my career and 18 kind of felt like an unconscious year. And I just, I feel like when things work the best, it's you're, you're right, Brian, it's, it's more of an arm slot thing for me. I'm not trying to manipulate the ball out front to pronate it. I'm literally whatever my, wherever my wrist is at at my arm slot up here, I'm just trying to stay on top of the ball and through it at that arm slot. So if my arm finishes like at this angle, I'm just trying to drive it and spin it as hard as I can from this angle. I'm not trying to like stay on top of it and pronate out front. I feel like I, I, I get flat run out of my hand when I do that. If I try to throw the crap out of the ball right down the middle with that thought process of my arm being up at foot strike, then typically the ball will do what I want it to do. And it has a lot later bite than um, if I'm really trying to manipulate it. Do you do any dri- do you do any drills like on the side to maintain that feeling of throwing through the ball? Like, do you throw four seamers in catch play, or if you go out long throwing, will you throw your your sinker uh, from a long distance? I will. So I I feel like the biggest problem. I mean, in the bullpen, the biggest problem maybe some of you guys have noticed is we'll start cutting ourselves off if we just play short catch every day. At least that's my problem. Um, so I like to long toss out to at least like one fifty, one eighty. Um, probably every third day. And um, I like to uh, four-seamer for sure when I go back. I like to stretch it out with my four-seamer. And to maintain feel, I, know it's, I don't know if you guys do this or not, but I'll take a ball and just sit in the bullpen and I'll find the grip and I'll just like create friction and like tell my body what it's supposed to feel like just out of my hand. And I'll do it with my sinker, I'll do it with my four-seamer, with my slider. And um, it's it really it's kind of an easy transition for me to get on the mound. I don't have to find it when I'm on the mound. I've already felt and told my mind what it's supposed to feel like, and I just feel like our 
we don't give our, our minds enough credit and our body enough credit to adapt to what a good feeling is. Like if you, if you've created a really good pitch off the mound, like, all right, that's what I wanted it to do. I've got good feedback. Now emulate it. All you guys have been able to repeat a pitch that has been like, let's say it's a slider you're learning. All of a sudden you, you, you throw it the right way. Everything feels clean. It, it looks like a fastball out of your hand. Now repeat it. You repeat it again. Well, that's all I'm trying to do when I'm warming up is to maintain that, that finger pressure just in the bullpen before I get on the mound. When I get on the mound, it transitions way better. Mark, what else you got for us? I see multiple tabs at the bottom here. Um, well, yeah, I, I obviously went in. I went, Brian and I went too far with some stuff, but um, uh, Blake had just said something interesting there about, you know, not overcooking like the pronation of it. Um, something we don't have a ton of public access to is spin efficiency uh, with this stuff. Um, obviously, uh, you know, I've seen Steve throw, I've seen Mike throw, I've seen Corey throw. Um, I think part of the difference, like when we get into that two seam versus sinker discussion is how much of that gyro spin or how spin efficient is the pitch. And as that spin efficiency starts to drop down a little bit, that gives you a little bit more of a sinker. Um, and when that spin efficiency is up a little bit more, that gives it a two seam. So like Otto, I'm, I'm really curious about yours from that slot. What if you know what yours is like or what you think it is? Because I've seen Steve's and Steve throws a, a, a really clean ball. Uh, but to go back to Brian's point about the arm slot, like being from where he is, that ball is tilted exactly how he needs it to be. Um, someone like Mike has to create that depth in another way. So you're kind of that like tweener is what I would say. Yeah, I have better efficiency on my on my two seam than I would on a four seam. Um, when I finally got to look at it on the Edutronic, um, you know, it's amazing. My four seam, like it just didn't. It was amazing. I thought it was going to spin like four seam. It just didn't at all. Um, something about the way it was coming off my fingertips just kind of imparted quite a bit of gyro in there. Uh, whereas on the two seam, when I ripped down with my uh, pointer finger, which is the only uh, finger I have on the seam, I actually have my middle finger off. When I rip down with my pointer finger, it kind of enables it to really spin really, 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 really true the way I want it to. Um, it's just something that, you know, kind of found watching the video and just was kind of like an aha moment. Adam, I wanted to ask you a question. How, how were you able to do that in Colorado? You had really good numbers there. Were you able to throw that two-seamer the same way that you're able to throw it now? No, it, it was challenging. Uh, the big thing is the sinker is like, is totally murdered in Colorado. Um, <laughs> it just is. So uh, for breaking ball, actually not as bad as people think. Like if you, if you can spin the ball at a high rate, you could throw a breaking ball there, but the two seem like, man, it's, it's tough. So I would just change my sights. Like instead of trying to start a pitch off the corner to bring it back, I would just try to throw it right on the corner and hope for the best with any kind of movement. Um, more than anything, I was just trying to go slider heavy as possible and definitely punch out heavy. I don't want them to even put the ball in play in Colorado. There's too much space out there. <laughs> Steve knows all about Colorado. Yes. Yeah, yeah, you, did you hear that? <laughs> he doesn't cut his two-seamer. <laughs> he picks a so slider and throws it to it. Me and Steve were playing catch last year in Colorado. Doing my normal routine. I said, I'm going to throw a sinker. This thing was the nastiest cut I've ever thrown. Not, hits his kneecap. The guy goes down on the ground. He's crying. They bring out the – the guy gets carted off the field. I'm getting booed by the fans. 
He got carted off the field, and he stood out one day. Like, you can't get carted off the field. Your leg better be broken. I thought my leg was broken for sure. My kneecap was in the third deck. I, I got that eighth inning job after that, though. I put, I, I, put the guys, I put the guys on a group text. I was like, this is a really bad way to ask for a day off. <laughs> I've, seen guys, I've seen guys, a lot of guys panic throwing their two-seam in Colorado and getting that cutting action and then just shutting it down. Um, you know, I, I, it's just one of those things. It's just a little different. And not to mention, you really can't grip the ball the same there either. So that's probably a factor. Yeah. Blake, you sweating yeah. a little bit? You're a new NL, NL West guy. Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> He's got five I mean, pitches yeah, to throw hundred. I'll thought about Colorado, but um, I'll, just, I'll just get Adam's number after this and we'll, we'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so everybody, the, the, the task was to bring a question for someone else. So, Steve, I'm going to have you go first here at the top of the screen. What do you got? Oh, wow. Um, actually, I, I had a question kind of for the group. Um, I think it's important for, like, especially the young people listening um, that haven't really dealt with adversity or failure yet. Um, you know, when – you know, forget, forget about when things are rolling. You know, I think Blake touched on it earlier when you're feeling right. You're kind of just not even thinking about it. Um, but I want to hear about when those times where your sinker isn't, you know, doing what you want, um, you know, something feels off, you don't feel like typically, you know, you don't know what's kind of going on. Like, what do you kind of fall back on to reel yourself back in, get your stuff back together, um, build that confidence back up, whatever it may be uh, when you're, you know, kind of on a downward, downward slope. All right, let's go Soroka first. He's been quiet and he's the bottom of the, the lineup here. <laughs> Um, you know, for me, it, that dealing with not having a two seam that day kind of got easier, uh, as I started to rely a little more on four seams than my other pitches too. Um, I found that just because I throw a two seam or a sinker, I guess, um, and you know, sometimes it's above average, we tend to rely on it so much, um, and kind of getting away from that for me in those situations and realizing I don't have to be so hard headed with it. And doesn't always have to be mono e mono with the hitter when they know your sinker's coming. Um, it doesn't have to be that way. So understanding that I can get back on track. Um, you know, if I have to get out of an inning with sliders and changeups, so be it. Because um, ultimately, it's all it's about is putting up a zero. It doesn't matter how you get there. So um, yeah, if if the two seams not going, um, being comfortable with switching plans pretty quickly uh, has come a long way. What about you, Corey? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's spot on. You have to be able to adjust quick and recognize when it's when it's time to adjust quickly. You know, a lot of times I feel like when we get ourselves in trouble is when we don't we don't recognize it soon enough. Um, you know, it's it's a couple hitters too late a lot of times. Um, like days when I don't really have a good feel for my two seam, I've found that for me a lot of times it's when I'm, you know, I'm trying to maybe make it do a certain thing and, and what kind of reels me back in is just trying to drive it to a spot um you know I, I pick my starting point and i try to drive through that spot and that that kind of usually will lock me back in like when when i when i get off with it or when you know maybe the action isn't working or or it's getting hit around a lot of times when i when i think back to it it's you know if i'm trying to to really make this one run or you know to really make sure I don't miss over the plate with it. You know, those are the kind of things that I think I tend to try to manipulate a little bit too much. And then that, that kind of backfires for me as, as opposed to just staying true to that spot where I want to start it. 
Nice. What about you, Ken? Sir? Yeah, same thing. I think uh, I tried to make it nastier than what it was. Like, 17, I had a good year. And then 18, I came in with, oh, I'm going to have a better one. I'm going to have all these strikeouts. And then next, you know, my arm slot raised. And all the analytic numbers that I didn't know anything about, but they showed me, uh, they all just went higher. Everything went higher to where I wasn't being athletic and let my natural action happen. Obviously, I had to spend a whole year of getting my ass kicked to learn about that. But um, I think when I start, finally started learning to stop trying to be somebody I wasn't and just let my natural body athleticism just let it work is when my I even had an even better sinker. So that was a good lesson for me. Blake? Yeah, I think uh, the one thing I always tried to do, kind of like what Corey was touching base, uh, touching base with is um, my my ball isn't moving the way I want it to. I still have to understand that I can get outs without the movement. Um, you know, if you're a one-pitch pitcher, it's a little more difficult, but there's still ways to get outs if it's not doing what you want. You just pick a spot and try to beat a hitter to it or pick a spot, and even if it's moving just a couple inches, you know, if you execute. That's, that's what I've always told myself. And I've, I've found that, you know, the, the dribbling ground ball turns into a sharp ground ball and, I was blessed to have really good corner infielders and there's probably a few more runs out there that I should have given up. But, um, you know, I, I think the biggest thing is, is trusting that you know, I got, a, I got a four seamer and I got a slider. If I have to go to those and, and become a thumber one day, um, then I'll go to it and then go back to the drawing board and fix it for the next one. Nice. Adam, you're the last Steve Ciszek life advice of the night. <laughs> um, you know, luckily, I think in the bullpen, like, you know, you're going to have it quickly or you're going to probably get taken out. So um, I, I try never to, no matter how poorly I throw in the pen, I try to never let that get in my head and just always trust that the next pitch is going to be a good pitch. And I'm not afraid to throw 50 sliders in a row if I have to. So, you know, it kind of depends on the situation. I mean, in a real game, real major league game, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get the guy out, you know, with whatever kind of tricks I need to pull out. If it's spring training probably be a little uh, stubborn about it and throw five more sinkers until I get it right. But I think ultimately, um, you know, you just do what you have to do and, uh, you know, just worry about the present, fix the, fix the pitch later. I like it. You want to lead off the next round of questions? What do you got? Who's your choice for the night? Sure. My, my question is for Blake. Um, you know, everybody on the call has been awesome, you know, in their careers, obviously Corey has Cy Young, you know, that's, that's, that's like what we all dreamed of doing. But uh, my question is for Blake, because you had a year where you gave up like almost zero runs. So I've been in the zone like that before, but never for the full six months. At what point, at what point do you just have to turn your brain off to your, to how well you're pitching and just keep going? Um, or does that, did that, did that play in at all? Um, how good you were doing? Um, you know, the, the funny thing for me is early in the season, um, my numbers were, if you look analytically, it was, it was insane. Like how, how had I not given up way more runs than I had not given up at the point in the season. And um, I remember like I let myself get into the articles early on and that actually kind of like made me a little bit weary. Like, wow, am I really as good as the numbers are showing to the first like month of the season? And then I had a game where I felt like my sinker clicked and from that point on, it, it was just a game changer. It was like, okay, you know, Luke Croy was kind of an unsung hero for that season for me. And um, like you said, you don't think about what you're throwing. And with his ability to, to mix a sinker in more than I was willing to, uh, uh, like, acknowledge, 
I, I would get cutter happy or slider happy or four seamer happy because everybody gears up for the sinker and you don't have to throw the perfect four seamer at that point, you know, just something elevated. I'm not trying to dot a nat's ass. I'm just trying to hit a corner or a, like a lane. Um, but to your point, I'm not, I, I really, I, I've, I've taken time to reflect and look back at that season and I, I could, I remember blips of it, but I don't remember like, you know, focusing on, on one thing more than the other. And the biggest thing was just for me was strike one. And like, I, I almost challenged him like Kinsler saying, just hit a ground ball because I knew I was getting used a lot. I'd rather go three or four days out of seven instead of just throw two days, take two days off. I, I'd rather throw multiple in as many games as I could. So my that, I think, really changed my 2018 when I started pitching to contact early on. Um, and it forced guys to swing. And then it actually turned into more strikeouts for me. And I'm not – I've never really been a strikeout guy, and that's by far the most strikeouts I've ever had in a season. Um, but it's, it's a weird feeling. And you had it in Colorado, and you've probably had it for multiple seasons in your career. They And – I don't know if you go through stretches, um, you know, like last year you had a really good stretch too. And you, you just, I mean, do you, I'll, I'll reverse the question to you almost. Do you feel like there's something that clicks that forces you down that, that like, like Hey, I found that, that sinker that I'm looking for. Um, and, and now, now I don't even have to think about it. It just happens. Or is there something that clicks for you in the season that makes it unconscious for you? Well, well, I think for me, I mean, the, the, the trick is it's all mental. Like, like um, whenever I'm pitching poorly, I always tell myself that's when I'll like buy into the analytics a little bit. Like, well, I, I'm not this bad, so I'll regress back to uh, some sort of mean here. But when you're dealing, I think that's kind of not what you want to go to. You want to think like, well, I'm due to give up some runs here or whatever. I, I think that's when um, you try to play a game with yourself. Like how, how many in a row can I go and uh, give up a zero? you know, put a zero up there. So I think the tough thing is just the, men the how hard it is mentally. I think, you know, when you're in a game 60, 70 times a year, or if you're a starter and you're pitching inning number 180 or whatever in a year, um, it's very easy to just lose that focus for a, a, a hot second, let a guy on base, and then it kind of snowballs. And I think, you know, the psychology of it is what I'm mostly interested in with most of the guys. It's like, when you're rolling, like, um, does the doubt ever, does the fact that it's not going to last forever ever creep in or, or do you guys, uh, kind of wait for it to happen before, uh, you worry about that? I feel like Corey's a good guy to answer that. Like 14 and 17, like both of those years, it was like, it was much watched cause you felt like you could go out and throw a no hitter anytime out there. Like, did you have that? It's especially on a five day rotation where you have four days to think about it. I think that I try to. I try to trick myself or convince myself depending on, you know, which way, which way we're trending. If, if things aren't the way I want them to be, then, then yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to try to convince myself that, you know, this isn't, this isn't the way it's going to stay, you know, eventually it's going to even out or you're going to figure out what, what feels off things like that. But then vice versa, if it feels like everything's clicking, um, you know, you, you, I kind of try to create even, even more of that sense of confidence of just that, you know, you know, I feel like I can do whatever I want with it. I feel like I can put it wherever I want. And so, you know, the guys that are, that are up there hitting, they don't have a chance. So I think trying to, 
in both ways, I think work to create more confidence, but either riding up, riding the highs or, or kind of saying when it's, when it doesn't feel as good, you know, it has to even out. Nice. All right. You got next question. What'd you bring? I got one for everybody actually. And it's, it's more of a, I'm curious to hear what different guys thoughts are on this. Like, so if, if we're thinking about a two seamer, for me, the toughest place to throw my two seamer is arm side with a lefty hitting. Um, you know, I feel like I can, I can front hip them, but for me not having the visual of the hitter to start it at, and I'm starting it over the plate, you know, to throw it, that's a, that's a tougher for me to buy into mentally. So I was just curious if anybody else has, has anything that, you know, mindset that they changed throwing a, a two seamer to a lefty that's, you know, arm side as opposed to glove side. I think for me, um, I have to trick myself into thinking I've tried two different things and, and both have worked in their own respect. Um, sometimes one doesn't, so I revert to the other, but you, you trick my, I trick myself to see where a righty would stand because I, maybe you have no problem also throwing a sinker down and into a righty and hitting the exact spot that you want every time. Like that's an unconscious pitch to me. It's a, it's a pitch that I can, I can execute more often than not. Um, so if I can, if I can visualize a righty standing in the box, another way is just trying to throw the sinker on the plate over the middle. So if I try to drive it just at the bottom of the zone to sink and touch the plate more times than not, it, this is just for me, it'll, it'll end up in that quadrant where it's strike the ball. And I've noticed lefties tend to commit to a pitch that stays more middle to end as opposed to away and off, especially on the sinker. What do you got, Kinsler? Are we talking about arm side to a lefty or going in on a lefty? Away. It's arm side. Away to a lefty. So, yeah, same thing. I always try to think. I want him – I want to give him the best chance to swing to where he's going to have to think he can basically try to lift. So, I'm always trying to think. I don't want the catcher – sometimes the catchers get a little too far out there and – it's always like borderline ball to ball. And I always try to go on that side to a lefty. I want them just on that outer quadrant. And I'm just trying to think of just reaching like almost like a change up, get good extension is letting that thing just look as great as it can to him and he, where he just wants to lift. But I don't try to do too much, but I definitely always try to give it a chance just to be on the plate. Cause if I'm off the play, I, and then my change up's not very good either. So I'm always just trying to give them, I don't care if they, I really don't care if they hit it at all. I just want to put it on the plate to where they have to commit. Steve. Yeah. Um, I'm, you know, pretty, pretty similar with that. I think a lot of it comes from what I do in my throwing program um, from, I don't know, 75 feet in, maybe even 90 at times I try to hit my throwing partner in their left hip. So if they're facing me, you know, their left hip. Um, Cause that's a, I know throwing an arm side sinker to a lefty is tough because you don't want to yank it and it ends up middle. If you don't want to steal it, because then it's not, you know, give it a chance. So if I can, you know, master that play and catch um, with my throwing partner, you know, hopefully that transitions into the game. So if I put in the work to trust it, you know, in practice, I'm going to trust it in the game that much more. And then on top of that, I like to play it off my slider. I like to, and it's not a secret anymore. I backdoor a lot of lefties. Um, so I want my goal is to make my, my two seamer start in the same area um, that my slider ended up. So if I throw a slider right down the middle to lefty, I'm trying to start my two-seamer right down the middle and make it go the other way, just trying to tunnel that pitch. Otto, you're up. Corey, do you, do you think it's just because there's all that room over there? Yeah, you I, think know, like, I think it, it seems like there's 
you know, an entire world full of room to the yeah. other side. There's, there's no, you know, like if, if you go into a lefty with a two seam, I feel like, you know, you can start at him and then you're, you're bringing it back to the zone. And it's just having, it's not having that same visual to the other side that, that gives me trouble. But looking yeah. at your, sorry to interrupt, sorry, looking at your, whatever analytic, your vertical break is really good. The thing actually sinks more than you think, even though you think it runs, but it looks like it sinks. So I think you got plenty of room on the plate with that thing. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Otto. Sorry, Otto. <laughs> no, it's all good. I, I just think I have a, I have the same problem. I have a really hard time, like, when the chips are down and that's the right pitch to throw, to stick it and keep it on, keep it on the plate. Um, yeah. I can throw a running two-seam off the plate all day for the chase, but it's just tricky to keep it on the plate. I, I try to aim – try to aim more like middle of the catcher's chest or like on his opposite arm if he's too far off the plate, like some of these guys were saying. But something about having that room out there seems to make the difference uh, in a yeah. negative way. Mike, what do you got? Yeah, that, that's actually the pitch really to lefties that I've struggled with. Um, I do think having that room to that side makes a big difference because, um, you know, in those 0 counts when you're trying to get either strike one or you're trying to get back in a count, um, my natural miss is going to be over the plate because I want to get that strike. You know, the last thing I want to do is nibble, nibble, and I'm down 2-0, 3-1, and then I, I have to come over with something else. So uh, I think that's tough for me for sure. But uh, what Blake said, honestly, about trying to make that pitch look a lot better to a lefty, uh, that's something I never really heard before and, and something that I, I think I'll get a kick out of trying because um, – you know, it's almost an accident sometimes when you hook one of those two seams or sinkers um, and it ends up down and in or even change-ups too. It works the same way. And it looks so good to them with that, that middle in almost. And, uh, you know, they try and lift it. So uh, that's interesting. But, um, yeah, that's, that's what I got. You got the next question too, Mike. So I'm actually, you know, back to Blake with this one. Um, you know, and honestly, Corey, too, can, can pipe in because uh, this might have more to do with starting, too. But uh, the most frustrating thing for me uh, is executing a good pitch, a good sinker at the very bottom of the zone uh, and have it be two inches below the zone. Guy doesn't swing, call the ball. Um, and that's something that's frustrating because you just executed your perfect pitch. You wanted him to swing. Um, and, you know, he might be taking an approach because it's probably the approach I'd take if I were facing you. I just wouldn't swing. I'm, I'm not going to try and hit that. I'm going to hope that it sinks below the zone and, uh, you know, I'm going to keep my thumb. So um, how, how do you kind of combat being able to know when a guy doesn't want to swing at that pitch or, you know, you're going to be able to steal a strike with your slider um, and basically get past the fact that, um, you know, he, he doesn't want to hit that pitch or he's just going to leave it. Well, I think back to why my 2018 and was such a good year for me is like when you get strike one with that sinker at the bottom of the zone, they have to be ready for anything close. So you, you if you execute that good pitch, that's just below the zone and you think it's a borderline strike or they didn't swing and that was your ground ball pitch. I say just keep throwing it because they know they're going to get in at some point. You know, they might they might even be thinking, dang, that was too close to take or I'm, I'm going to take till he throws one to strike anyways. Um, a story for me, a situationally too, dictates a lot of it. And when I in 2015, I remember facing uh, 
Michael Kadire in New York and he took like three like bastard sinkers that were strikes to balls and there was runners on first and third and it and it was a uh, we were up by one run I think and he took one strike it was like three one I threw another one that was really good and I was ticked off I was like how's this guy not swinging he's a righty like I eat him up every time I faced him and after the game Matt Lecroy my bullpen coach told me he knew Kadire and and had asked him like hey how you taking those pitches he's like I'm not hitting a ground ball double play to end a, a rally inning so he's got to either strike me out or I'm walking so you have to understand sometimes in a situation guys are gonna like literally just take because they'll take one out knowing the guy behind them might have a better chance of facing you aka maybe I don't know lefty if your numbers and splits aren't the greatest or if a righty has seen you well like that's what that situation was and it just left me scratching my head so when I dictated the account and went after the guy with, with strike one and forced him to be on the aggressive side, that's when those pitches don't become takes. You think it's extra frustrating, Mike? Because, I mean, you've thrown to Tyler Flowers a lot, who's one of the, like, absolute best receivers in the game. Like, he's, you're going to steal the most strikes at the bottom of the zone compared to any other spot. Like, because you know that if you think it was two inches below, it was actually probably four inches, and he made it closer than it was. Yeah. So I'm curious for the other guys on this call, like, like Corey, you've thrown to both Gomes and Perez before you moved on from Cleveland. Um, like, I don't know if you guys, especially guys who, who tend to throw more sinkers than, than balls that run, like are there certain cues that you want or things that you want your catchers to do to try to get that called strike at the bottom of the zone? Like have you, have you struggled with that in certain times? Otto, maybe you go first. I know this is a big topic of conversation for our organization right now. Yeah, I mean, I think um, there's always going to be certain areas that, uh, for me, the catcher setup is more about the visual for me. Like, I want them to be in an area where it's going to help me uh, understand where to start the pitch to end the pitch. I think, though, um, you know, when a guy takes a really close pitch, I usually think that reveals a lot about what they're looking at. You know, hitters, this, hitters these days, uh, they tend to pick a lane where if it doesn't come out of a certain lane, they're not swinging because they want to get their A swing off. So they got to be a little more selective uh, about when they're going to take their big hack. So I try to look at it like that. Like sometimes I throw a great slider right off the corner to a righty. It's like broke across the whole plate. The guy spits on it. And I used to get really, really frustrated. Uh, but usually it just tells me, okay, he's vulnerable to backdoor two seam. Like he's he's making the ball start way in on him. So it's just little things like that that I think um, – ultimately you try to learn from how about you Kinsler? like do you do you have certain uh like requests for catchers um with the way that you pitch at the bottom of the zone yeah <laughs> one is like you said visual me going back what the hell are you laughing at <laughs> <laughs> no comment <laughs> these guys are like an old married no. couple <laughs> uh, i like that i gotta i gotta see the catchers outside i mean especially if i'm going back door i always tell them just get out there let me see you um, I'm very, I think most of us are probably, there's always going to be my question is, is everyone, does everyone, everyone throw to a spot or they just throw to an area? So one, I want to tell catchers is always, let me try to see you if we're going out there or going in, let me see you in there. I don't want you to be on the plate. And if we're going down in the zone, just, just stick it down or don't try to bring it up and, you know, make it look like we just threw a ball to a strike. What do you got, Blake? So, um, for me, I'm, I'm actually a little bit different than Kent's in this regards. Um, I don't probably control my sinker as much as I would like to. I usually just throw it to halves and work the bottom of the zone. 
And so I would rather the catcher just sit up early in the count middle and lean one way or the other. Cause I don't know how many times I've probably yanked a, a sinker that's outer third and it gets called for a ball um, because the catcher is set up more in the sinker pocket to a righty. And um, so I would rather a catcher set up middle and this kind of like shade one way or the other as the ball's tracking in. And then with two strikes, they can start straddling a corner and I can work on being more fine or expanding into a sinker hole. Um, but I'm not too particular as long as they can keep that bottom of the zone with their glove. It helps us out. Um, but just mainly right on the plate and shade. The beauty of throwing 90, 99, huh? Just sit on the plate, dude. I'll throw <laughs> no it over kidding. there. <laughs> <laughs> Who's got a question they haven't used yet? I, uh, I know we've had a few. I know there's, there's some. I had one, actually. I don't know how many of you guys really, really thrive on the front hip sinker. Um, I've had it at points in my career, but, um, you know, over the, over the past probably three years, I haven't really utilized it as a weapon. So what's really a focus um, for driving it instead of guiding it? You know, I, I try to throw the crap out, I end up cutting it over there or yanking it. Um, one thing I try to remember is when I tried throwing it at a lefty shoulder, I usually had better success, but I have a hard time, finding a good lane. I know down and in, like you were saying earlier, Ken, this isn't great. So what's a focus for you guys on trying to drive and execute uh, a two-seamer slash sinker into a lefty? I think Kluber first on this one. <laughs> yeah, he does it with his eyes closed. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, it's – for me, it's not so much just against the lefty, but it's, it's taking that same pitch that I throw away to a righty. Um, you know, we are talking about catchers setting up, and I think – Jan and I learned that, you know, when, when we were trying to go away to a righty when we were way up in the count or something, if he set up where we wanted and then he gave that lean to the side, you know, like brought it back as the pitch was coming, like when he'd give that lean, that visual to me of getting way out there with it, it almost helped me to get, get through the ball more and I get more action on it that way. And I think I learned that, you know, taking that same visual with a lefty and, you know, if I'm trying to front hip a lefty, I'm literally trying to throw it at his ribs and, you know, I know that if I started at his ribs, it's going to come back. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hit him in the ribs, but you know, it's, if I don't try to start it that far out there, those are usually the ones that tend to to leak back middle for me. So it's just kind of taking, taking that trust that, you know, that is my starting point. It's going to end up from there. What about you, Otto? Yeah. Uh, if I stay closed, uh, maybe even like a hair longer than normal. I think it usually helps me avoid the cutting, cutting the ball off scenario. Like just try to ride and not, not fly open with my lead shoulder as late as, you know, I try to keep that close as late as possible. And also like, I just think, like I said before, throw it a little higher. Um, when I throw the ball a little higher, uh, it tends to, I tend to stay inside it really well. And it kind of comes back. It's harder for me to throw the sinker into the righties that all you guys do because I know it's going to run and I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to hit the guy 0-2 or something and give him a free base. So that's when I end up aiming the ball a little too much probably. But on this pitch, I really don't ever think I'm going to hit him. I think that's kind of, kind of what gives me the freedom. So briefly, real quick, on what you guys have touched on, is it, is it more of like trusting your line with your body to the inside edge instead of like – because sometimes I feel like I try to like reach out front to get that lane and it, do you change your stride like just a couple inches trying to drive in? Uh, let me let me say one more thing about this. Um, the, the 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 one the other thing is um, 
it, the pitch doesn't necessarily have to be a ball out of your hand. It just has to look like it's heading that direction. Like Corey throws cross body. I throw cross body. I'm not sure that the ball ever, it might look like it from a slanted uh, camera angle, but I'm not sure if the ball is ever truly well off the plate before it comes back. It's just more so that it looks like it's headed that way. Mm -hmm. and so the hitter reads that and immediately thinks, oh, that's at me. And then by the time that it comes back, he just doesn't have, he, then he doesn't have any time left. And also I have less fear with this pitch because it's just basic, like it, uh, 95 in or 93 in feels really fast. So whether it's a four seam, two seam or whatever, in order for them to whack it, they're going to have to beat you to the spot. And it's just tough to, to get beat to the spot when they initially read ball out of your hand. So I think this is a pitch like it, it is a tricky one. You have to practice it a lot, but you should have a lot of freedom to just kind of go for it without any consequences. Okay. What do you got on that, Mike? I'm, I'm curious because that's a pitch that I've seen you t at execute at times and other times not. Uh, you know, I'm enjoying these answers because I think I'm going to try <laughs> all these things in my bullpen tomorrow. Because um, that, that's a pitch for me that I, I have struggled with mainly because, like I said earlier, um, I got no problem making things run or sink arm side, but as soon as I go uh, glove side, it almost seems to be sinker only. Like it just wants to go straight down. Um, you know, I went through a bout, and I think it was double A. I was trying to go up and in on on uh, guys and bring it back, and like I said, it was either I'd pull it down and it would be a bomb, or uh, you know, I'd basically I'd cut it and I'd hit him in the ribs. So I, I think that was a pitch for me that I kind of gave up on that year. Uh, started focusing on a couple other things. Um, and like you said, that, that is a tough pitch, especially kind of if you want to talk about arm angle too, being up up higher and not trying to guide that ball in and manipulate it to come back over the plate. Um, you know, that that's a spot that I never looked. I've never looked at a lefty's ribs. Um, you know, that's something that I've I've never done. So I'll be interested to try that. Yeah, Eric, I can add a little bit yeah, to it, obviously, not throwing the pitch myself, but just through a lot of conversations with you guys, uh, Hendricks comes to mind um, cool. as someone that was throwing a lot of glove side um, sinkers when things were really going well, and over like the last two or three years, kind of got away from that pitch. Um, things were still working really well arm side. I think with guys like Otto – Definitely Corey, Steve, um, arm slot allows that like glove side uh, run. The more east-west action is a little bit easier for them. Um, guys like Trinan, um, can't say you're kind of in the middle, but guys like Trinan and Soroka, like when you, when you throw from that angle up top, like it's much easier to work up down with that action because that's the way the ball wants to come out. Like you have to get out of that mindset when you're trying to work glove side to not be so linear um the other guys Otto and and uh and Kluber they're they're much more rotational deliveries they use a lot more rotational momentum to get them uh glove side and allow that ball to move back where some of those more linear over the top deliveries work more top to bottom so I think with like to answer your question trying like it's always going to be easier for you to be middle arm side just because you work in a more linear fashion like you throw 100 in it you literally come to a standstill after your delivery like you're like the greg maddox of 100 um or some of those other guys are more rotational with their finishes so um 
I, I think like just being comfortable with a little bit more rotational momentum will get you to that position to allow the ball to work back. I don't know if that makes sense a little bit. My yeah, question is sure. where, where are your guys' catchers setting up when you throw that? Because I feel like our arm slots are kind of close, but this is – it took me probably, I don't know, six, seven years to master this pitch. But once you master that pitch, you can do the same thing the righties do this up that same plane and come back. They take it almost every time. So I think the question is to Blake and Soroka, where are the catchers setting up when you guys try to throw that pitch? Um, honestly, more times than not in the last two years has been strictly four-seamers, up and in or like if I'm going glove side, it's just all four-seamers trying to take their ace swing off my sinker down and away. Like, I don't care if it's first strike. I'm just going in with a purpose. And so I've lost – when I started using the four seamer more, I lost feel for that sinker in. And when I have thrown one in, it hasn't really been with a, it hasn't, it's kind of been by accident, if that makes sense. It's more or less like trying to get in the zone with it early. And oh, by the way, you front hipped him. So <laughs> it's not, it's not something I'm trying to do. Um, but predominantly, it's been four seamers. So that's why I'm looking for guidance from, you know, you guys on where you're necessarily aiming to try to get that. When you throw it, do you feel like it's set? Like, I always feel like, it, I don't know, whoever guys feel like when you throw that pitch, you got like one shot. Like, it has to be set up to do it, to punch him out. So it's like, as soon as he's set up for it, you just aim, just throw it. Get the catcher in there. You don't got to be fine. You just basically throw it at him. The guy's going to flinch because you're throwing so many sinkers down away and they're leaning over. Every time those go change it or change it down away and sinker down away, the guy's. All I gotta do is start anything over there, and they just flinch. To where you don't get, you don't have to be fine. I think if you set them up to get to that pitch, you feel really confident. Like I got them. All I gotta do is just let this work. And just let it happen. I've seen Corey feel like I did that a bunch against Minnesota. I was like, oh shit, here comes the front hip. There it is. And it's not easy. Sometimes it's right down the middle, but these guys are aiming. They're all leaning over the plate. Gotcha. Yeah, I think um, as far as looking. Um, it's kind of an easy sight when you're trying to do it to a righty. Uh, and this kind of goes into what Cap was saying and a lot of, a lot of what we were working to. Um, I think with a righty up, I think it's easy to stay a little more rotational because you feel like you have room to breathe. Uh, and like you said, when you go into that one shot, I got one shot to go in and bring it back. Um, I try and maybe be a little too perfect and I'm, I'm really trying to make it kind of stick in. Um, so like I said, it, it's going to be fun to be able to try to, to really work in and up because um, I'm sure I'm sure when Corey throws that pitch up and in on lefties, it probably looks like it's coming right at him out of the hand. Um, so maybe that's just something I got to think about is what it looks like to them as opposed to actually trying to get over there to throw it inside on them. Corey, I'm curious, like I've talked to guys who have faced you and the, the, like, the resounding feedback I hear from absolutely everybody is everything looks the same for 50 feet and then it just goes in all different directions. Is that front hip like two seam to a lefty different though? Like are they, are they seeing that out of the hand as just a ball or are they also thinking that, you know, it could just be a four seam that gets on them quicker or that you, you know, started <laughs> throwing changeups into lefties. Like what's the, I mean, you've thrown against a guy like Brantley after he's been a teammate. What's the feedback you get on a situation like that? Yeah, I think it's, I think a lot of it is that the, the lane it initially comes out of is, 
is different. You know, like Otto was saying, like whether it actually starts at him or not, um, that lane for that pitch to me is, is a lot different than anything over or arm side. Um, so I think that gets that initial look being that different, you know, that, that split second hesitation, I think does me a lot of good. Um, the guys see it different than the cutter in that situation. Yeah. I mean, as long as it's a good one, as long as it's not yeah. a little late, but <laughs> I think that, you know, when I'm, when I'm crisscrossing a lefty in, you know, obviously the, the more that I can throw them cutters in, that they have to respect. I think that the better off, it makes that front hip two seam because, you know, if, if I'm throwing them balls that are barreling into them on their hands, um, you know, once it, once it comes off that plane just a little bit closer to them, I think that their, their initial read on it is that, you know, that's going to break into me or that's, that one's not the one that's going to hang out over the plate and I'm going to try to hammer it. I like it. Who hasn't gotten their question answered so far? I'm trying to remember who hasn't, hasn't. I know Mark's got well, one in the key. Britain. Britain. What, was your, Britain what was your question? Brother. Yeah. Well, I played with his brother a long time ago, and his brother was talking about. I was like, "How did he learn it?" And he said, well, "He's actually trying to learn a cutter." Which Otto basically was saying it is a cutter. He said he was trying to learn a cutter and just kept sinking. I just want to know how the hell that came about. If that's true, I feel like Otto, you probably had this conversation in the bullpen five hundred times, haven't you? Yeah, he throws from like a really high angle and uh, he pronates super early naturally on everything. And so his cutter grip, like he has, his fingers aren't even on any seam. And so it kind of just like squirts out and it's kind of like a backed up cutter. Every pitch is like a backed up cutter that he's somehow able to stay behind and throw 95. So it's a really unique pitch. Like it kind of breaks a lot of the tracking systems and whatnot. But I think he told me that, you know, they were trying to teach him this slider cutter thing like a harder slider cutter and he threw three or four of them and they did the sinker action. And then the pitching coach is like, just do that. Just, just keep doing that. <laughs> and uh, he wrote it. We will get the, we'll get the lengthy response. I texted him earlier. He was bummed he couldn't make it. So we'll do a full podcast for awesome. him about it. But cap, that's, that's some of the stuff we talked about the other day, right? Is there are a lot of guys like Corey. I remember uh, Christian wonders actually showed me like this video 15,000 different times of it was when, you know, high speed cameras were just becoming sexy and becoming part of like the actual, you know, on air footage that every fan saw in that first game against the Cubs in the world series. I think you struck out eight and three innings to start the game. And there was an image that taught that showed you and, and you were in supination a really, really long time, like more than anybody ever expected. And there were a bunch of pitching coaches that look at that and, they thought you have to manipulate a two seam, like you have to turn it over sooner. And you were supinated incredibly late in your delivery. Like, is that something you found? Is that something that was just always who you were and you didn't realize you were doing it until you actually saw the video? Yeah, I think that's just the way I throw. Um, yeah. You know, I don't, nothing that I throw am I trying to pronate it. And I think that that's yeah. why I struggle with the changeup. But, <laughs> you know, I think that what that's the way that it comes natural for me to throw a baseball. If I try to, to turn a ball over the other way, you know, it, it feels like my shoulder's going to come out of socket or, you know, it's not going to go where I want it to. Cap, are guys going in the wrong direction trying to teach that? What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's probably a full hour conversation itself. But I think, yeah, I mean, it, it's very dangerous to try to create action on a pitch that the anatomy of a body, the arm action, the wrist, the hand orientation, all that just naturally does. And someone like Corey has built up 
resiliency and adaptations in his form and elbow over the last 15 years of throwing that way. So his ball has found a way to create that shape based on his anatomy and his body knows how to manage that. Um, nowadays you see something on pitching ninja and you see the way a ball is shaped and moved and a guy grabs the ball and expects it to do that and throws it a thousand times until it happens. It's a, it's a dangerous road to travel down, especially if it's not something your body hasn't become accustomed to. I mean, Mark, that's some of the same stuff you talked about with like Otto and Soroka. Like some of the profiles are comparable, but the ways they get to those positions are dramatically different. Yeah, exactly. And it's unfortunately, it's not as simple as, you know, like look at Otto's grip or look at Steve's grip and throw it and it's going to do that. There's a lot more that goes into it from a hand wrist uh, orientation, forearm, talking pronation, supination, and then all the way up the shoulder. So, um, obviously a lot of pieces to the puzzle. Nice. And you got next question too. I know we're texting on the side cause he's got good stuff in the, in the wings. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm always curious, uh, with, with guys like you, uh, this group, uh, who really are, are one pitch focused. Um, when you're playing catch, at what point do you use the sinker, use the two seam? Um, it seems like I know I played catch with Mike, played catch with Steve, Consensus seems like a lot of guys work out with a four seam um, and on the way back in, they start mixing in two. Uh, if you're someone like Otto, who's more exclusive two seam or someone like Blake, who's a high percentage, I don't know if that's different for you guys. Who's going first? Somebody take it. Yeah, I'll go. Um, <laughs> right, nice. I'm, I'm probably backwards with that. I actually work out with two seams. Um, once I get yeah, past 90 feet. Yeah, when I'm dragging, it's cutting. That's how I know my two seamer is, is trash that day. So I got to do, I got to figure something out. <laughs> but anyways, once I get hurts. past, <laughs> yeah, where my neck hurts. Once I get past <laughs> 90 feet, um, typically it's four seamers from that point to however my throwing partner wants to go. Um, long toss, four seamers. I won't throw a two seamer past 90 feet. But then when we bring it back in, I'm trying to drive a two seamer down again off his, off his left hip. I'm trying to just i can throw a, fa a fastball up all day it's it's keeping the ball down that's always a challenge this is the career-long challenge um for me so my tendencies want to come up and out of my delivery instead i try to reinforce staying down through the ball uh, when we're bringing it back in steve, steve is that mostly do you feel like if you get past 90 feet you're starting to see too much shape or too much movement and you don't want to you don't want to chase that in a catch play like you want to kind of keep things a little bit smaller more controlled no, I just don't want my hand to get under the ball. When I'm when I, my ball will just fade. I can throw a baseball probably seventy yards max, like giving it everything I got, which is not impressive. But it just it just goes comes out of my hand hot and it just dies. Just you just loses all momentum. So if I'm throwing a two seamer past ninety feet, my tendency is going to want to get my hand underneath the ball to get it out there, and that's not something I want to create in a game. I want to create good habits. I want to create thinking driving the ball down in the zone if i want to if i want the ball to take off that's where i hold that four seam and get behind it um so i just want to create good habits in my throwing program because that's where we make our most throws well relievers anyways that's where we make our most throws so who's next i don't i don't usually uh i don't usually throw my two seam until i come all the way back in get to about 60 70 feet I throw a four seam, just try to work on throwing it as straight as I can so that I know my hand's behind the ball. And then the kind of method I use is, uh, well, I'll throw some change-ups from far because I'm still working on that, even though 
I probably never throw it, but anyway, uh, uh, anyway, when I get back in, I usually kind of alternate between two seam and cutter once I get back to, uh, back to about 60 feet. And the idea there is just to keep my wrist position in the same spot with each pitch and let the grip kind of take it one way or the other and just keep driving the ball and, you know, trust the grip. I think, uh, if I try to, that way I'm not trying to manipulate the ball. I think a lot of guys tonight have talked about just trusting the grip and driving it and letting it do the work. And I think that's what that practice is all about for me. Yeah. For me, I throw four seams all the way back. And when I come in and I'm trying to work arm side sinkers and I'll have my catch partner move all the way over to work on that glove side, Steve, Steve would get scared sometimes, but I would have the guy move over there so I could really focus on training my body and my hips to really just keep repeating that back door, back door. That way I've already practiced it that day. And then I'll do my changeups and my sliders, but I really don't worry too much about those. I always know if I, if I can get that back door sinker, then my mechanics are in a good spot because you have to stay closed for so long to let that pitch actually work to where, you know, I, those are the only things I, I focus on. Yeah, for me, it's pretty, it's pretty rare that I throw two seams in catch play. Um, mainly because I, I like to see the ball move. Um, and it, it doesn't really do much for me until I'm actually really letting it go. Um, so it kind of, it kind of works out that I got to work on the four seam right now, but, um, you know, I found myself kind of getting frustrated or trying to do different things. Like, like Steve said, you don't want to create bad habits just to see something good. Um, you know, especially in catch play at 60% toss. Um, there's no chance I'm going to see that ball move like I want it to until I get it on the mound. So, um, you know, I don't want to try and work inside out and all that kind of stuff in catch play because once I get on the mound, that's when you start throwing those mystery cutters and it's just not good. So, uh, for me, it's something that I try and avoid and, until I'm really letting it go. But I got I got the next question for the group, and this is like the easy, succinct answer. All right, so let's say the coronavirus is over and you're out signing autographs before a game and a 16 year old kid asks you how you throw your two seamer. What's like the, what's the cliff notes, three sentences, most important takeaway you can give him, Mike, ready, go. Uh, I'd say just let it eat. Uh, like we we all say, trust it. Um, I'm sure you're going to find different grips, but you got to let it eat, man. You got to, uh, you can't be trying to move it. Um, you know, that's one thing in baseball. I think you're starting to see more of is guys that throw, two seams and sinkers with elite velocity. You know, you got Alvarado and Gratterall coming up, just like Blake throwing a hundred mile an hour sinkers. And uh, I see nothing wrong with that. So to me, it's, it's let it eat, see what happens. Brandon, what do you got? For me, I always say uh, less fingers on the ball and accelerate it late. I always feel like a lot of finger on the ball will cause you a lot of friction and let the high spin rate make you get under the ball. So I always try to be probably about the last quarter of my finger, my half, maybe a little bit less than half a finger on the seams. Just try to accelerate late as possible. Corey. I'm right there with the late. Um, you know, I think when you try to try to start too early on it, tend to get under it or, or get on the side of it a little bit too much. And, you know, things, it might, it might be moving a lot, but it's moving a lot earlier. Um, you know, I think that the more I can accelerate late, the more that my action is going to be late on it. What about Steve? Yeah, I'm right there with Soroka. I'm just grip it and rip it. You know, I just take this grip right here, same grip every time, and I throw it as hard as I possibly can through the bottom of the catcher's mitt. So that's it. 
Like, yeah, I'm actually like a happy medium in between everybody. Um, <laughs> I think find a group that works for you and throw the crap out of it, but everything has to be late. Um, I'm, I think late hand speed. Nice. And as we've been going through this, uh, Britton actually texted me his question. I'll read it. He said, I was going to ask Kluber about his ability to front hip his sinker to lefties. Obviously, I would do that to a right-hander. I want to know when he was able to master that. What is his focal point to start that pitch? Our sinkers are a lot different, but I've really liked watching him bring that sinker back over on left-handers and right-handers for that matter. I think we covered that. It's the ribs, right? Tell him, tell him I don't know how to start a ball in the middle of the zone and have it end up in the dirt. <laughs> I think Blake asked <laughs> Turbo Sinker is asking the guys with run questions. Nice. Cap or Mark, you got any, anything good? Uh, I got a more of a selfish question. It kind of works off of Eric's last question. I, I get a chance to work with a lot of uh, up-and-coming prospects. Um, obviously, Mike's pretty mature beyond his years, but some of those younger guys – are kind of being told what is ideal, um, either from pitch metrics or mechanics. I think like in this group, there's such unique deliveries or such unique pitch characteristics. Like what would you tell some of those younger guys if, if you're in their situation and, and they had an argument with, you know, the analytics or front office, is this is how your delivery should look. This is how your pitch should move. Like what would you say to them and kind of like a, a quick three second description? No Ask them if they would like to play catch with them. <laughs> yeah, I've yet to I've yet to <laughs> find anyone answer this. Who would you rather play? Who would you rather catch in the bullpen? A guy that throws a four seam at ninety eight or a sinker, and no one ever wants to play catch the sinker. So, sh- shut up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, beautiful. I feel like some of those or a lot of the people that you know digest the analytics and, and tell people something aren't necessarily looking at the whole story. You know, I think that they're looking at, at numbers and, and trying to chase ideal numbers. But like you guys said, those numbers probably aren't attainable for, for certain people, you know, based on the way they throw, what their body does. You know, you're, you're trying to have somebody change what they do to, to chase, you know, data. When, where I, I feel like those analytics are more useful when they try to help guys you know, improve what they already do as opposed to changing to, to fit the mold of, of what they want them to be. Yeah, if you're getting the results, you know, I'm not saying throw the analytics out the window. Yeah, it can be helpful, but I'm not going to change my approach because I'm, I'm going to look better on a computer screen um, because, you know, maybe that will get me uh, maybe more appearances, a job or whatever. But uh, this is what you – if you it's your career, you know, you got to end up doing, you know, you end up got to be doing what you're comfortable doing. And if you're getting crushed, you know, it's almost like trying, if you're getting crushed, then yeah, make the adjustment, see what the analytics are telling you. But if you're rolling, like you gotta, you gotta keep going until that adjustment needs to be made. In my opinion. I think if you're, if you're a kid and you're building from the ground up, you know, you have, you have a choice to make, you know, you can attempt to make your delivery super clean and conventional, and then you're going to have to go ahead and try to produce Garrett Cole's stuff for that to probably work out. Um, otherwise, you know, just take a look around the major leagues. A lot of the best pitchers of all time do something a little strange. I mean, play with CC. cc has got like a little hitch in his arm path. I feel like that timing there took him a really long way in his career. I mean, amongst other things he does, but 
a little hitch in the arm path here, a little abnormal stride there. You know, it can go a long way because guys are are kind of programmed to hit the aggregate, you know, pitcher. And I think if you want to kind of stay uh, as an outlier as long as possible. Um, so if I'm a kid, I'm going to try to figure out what I can do physically and then kind of build off of that. Yeah, I think Adam hit it right on the head right there with, you know, basically saying that how many guys do you see or how many nasty pitchers do you see that are pretty, you know? It doesn't, it doesn't happen too often. And uh, especially when you think about all of us and how differently we throw, uh, there are a few things that we do very similarly with, with our mechanics and probably a lot of those in our legs. Um, but beyond that, we all produce force in a different way. I know Cap loves to talk about how our bodies are all different. Um, you know, with a longer torso, I didn't need to rotate as much. Uh, little things like that. And uh, I think, like you said, just being a little different uh, helps, helps guys a ton because it's, it's something that the hitter needs to see more than once to get a good view of it. You know, if, if the hitter goes up there and he knows what it's going to look like before he goes up there, then, I mean, he, he's got a leg up. So you're able to, to have something a little different uh, and unique because of the way you throw, then uh, I think you're already one step ahead. I like it. Anybody else got anything good? All right, fellas. Well, I guess we call it a night. Thanks, everybody, for doing this. This was a lot of fun. Um, filled yeah. the void with no awesome. baseball. Uh, <laughs> we'll have to do it again. We might need a slider, curveball, change-up version. So I may be calling Can you we guys. do a slider one so I can learn from all these guys that have good sliders? <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get a couple extra years. <laughs> we'll make it happen. Adovino, start writing your questions, man. Congratulations on your first co-hosting appearance. I think you did great. Thanks, guys. It was nice to uh, be able to talk, to talk to you all finally. That was awesome. Good all stuff, right, fellas. Guys. Be safe, fellas. Thank we'll you. catch up with you soon. Take care. Thank you guys Thanks for again. Me. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be thrilled if you'd consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review to read on iTunes. We welcome your suggestions for future guests and questions. Just email EliteBaseballPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for your continued support, and we'll see you next episode.